We're going to start a new Sunday School series today. We're going to go through the letter to the Hebrews. Today is simply an introduction. Uh, so before we get right into what's going on, you need to have a little bit of understanding uh, as far as the background, the purpose of the letter, who the author might be, uh, the speculation concerning the author. And uh, so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at the issue of the author. We're going to look at the date of the letter, possible date for the letter, who the letter was written to, and the purpose. Okay? So let's talk about the author for a moment, because when you read the letter, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you, when you read through the letter of Hebrews, you're never going to see it mentioned concerning who the author is. Okay? So the authorship of the letter has been in doubt since its publication. So from the very beginning in the early church, no one has been able to clearly say who the author is. Okay? No one. I know that there are some that have. Uh, I remember when I first became a believer almost 30 years ago in my little independent Baptist church uh, where we went, uh, people would argue about that. In fact, they'd get all upset about, well, it's, it's got to be Paul. You know, and, and, and I stand on Paul being the author. Okay? Really? What does that have to do with anything? Does that really shifting your life to know that? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that changing you? You know, uh, is that making you closer to Jesus? Uh, actually, I think it's pretty ridiculous now, as I think about it 30 years later, uh, concerning that. So none of the early church fathers, now you could say, how can you be sure that nobody knows who it is? Well, none of the early church fathers who mentioned the letter identified the writer. So we have letters from the church fathers within the first century after the time of the apostles who mentioned this letter to the Hebrews, who referred to this letter of the Hebrews, and none of them, are you listening to me, none of them say who the author is. None of them will say, well, you know, Paul said this in Hebrews. None of them say that. Okay? So the early church fathers didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out who it was. So no one has been able to identify the author. So let me just go ahead and say that. Maybe you've heard somebody say, well, it's Paul and I stand up Paul. Great, wonderful that they make that statement, but the reality is is nobody has been able to identify him. How can you say that, George? Well, we're going to go through some things here in a minute about the authorship that will kind of point some things out to you to make you understand that it's you know, if you might, you're here and you say you're a Paul man, fine, wonderful, you're a Paul man, okay? But you really don't have much evidence to prove that except some evidence, and that same evidence can be used to prove someone else, okay? All right, so let's talk about it. What we do know from the letter about the author is, is that he's a second-generation believer, now, what does that mean, George, a second-generation believer? What we know, and look there, it's Hebrews 2, 3. Look with me at that verse. How, 
How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which was first began to be spoken by the Lord and confirmed to us by those who heard them? So he is not an original follower of Jesus. Do you understand? He's a next generation. So there was Jesus speaking, those who heard him, the apostles, and then everybody else after that who got saved. So he's that next generation of believers. Okay, So he's identifying himself as those who heard from those. Okay, So again, that kind of puts a strike against Paul because being the author, because did Paul see Jesus? Okay. Alright, so I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. So whoever this is, is a second generation believer. Alright? The author was probably a Greek-speaking Jew. More than likely, this author was a Greek-speaking Jew. Now, how do you know that, George? Well, we know that based upon the Old Testament that he used. Okay? And how he refers to the Old Testament. What do you mean? The author seems to rely upon the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint. About Remember I told you when we went through the Daniel lesson that there was a Greek period in the Middle East known as the Hellenized period. It's right after Alexander the Great. It lasted for several hundred years. And basically, that whole Middle Eastern area was Hellenized, okay, or, or had a Greek influence in it. During that time, there was written, I think it was the Ptolemies, the king of the, king of the south, wanted, uh, during that time, they produced in Alexandria, remember, that was the city that was uh, created, built, established by Alexander the Great, there was a large Jewish population there, and so they formed, they basically translated the Hebrew scriptures into a Greek Old Testament, known as the Septuagint. And it became a very popular version throughout the area. In fact, just for your information, when Jesus quotes, sometimes he actually quotes from the Septuagint. He doesn't just quote from the Hebrew scriptures. Sometimes he quotes from the Septuagint. So this is obviously a Greek-speaking Jew who writes this because when he uses the Old Testament references here, most of the time he's using the Greek Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint. So that's how we can know that. The letter to the Hebrews contains Pauline teaching. Now this is where it gets confusing. Okay, so... I don't believe it's Paul. To my personal opinion, I don't believe it's Paul. But when I read the letter, it does contain some Pauline teaching. What do you mean? When you read the letter of Hebrews, if you've read Paul's letters, you're going to see some similar themes. Okay? You're going to see some similar themes, some similar teaching. So the letter contains Pauline teaching. So the guys who are adamant that it's Paul will say, well, look! says the same thing Paul says. Okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean Paul wrote it. Okay? Here's what I want you to see. The author knew the Pauline circle of friends since he mentioned Timothy. So if you go over to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, 
you'll see that he mentions Timothy. Now, remember who Timothy is? Okay. Timothy was kind of like a son to the Apostle Paul. All right. So this is another reason why people say this has to be Paul. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be Paul because he mentions Timothy. It could be someone within the Pauline, that is Paul's circle of friends. Okay. Ministering in Asia Minor there. All right. Now, let's take a look at some of the early church positions on it. What what did the early church think? Now, remember, now when we talk about the early church, I just want to help everybody understand. We're not talking about the Catholic church. That was one component of the early church. All right, that's the Western church. In fact, there are other there are many components because you think about it, if you look at the map of the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire extended all the way from North Africa, all the way around from into Turkey, all the way up into Europe, over into Great Britain. That was the Roman Empire. Now, the church, the early church, when it was established, went throughout the whole Mediterranean. But there were different influences within that church. Today we know it as there's the Roman church, which claims primacy, which claims it's it. But then there's the Orthodox church, which is just as old as the Catholic church, which says... To the Romans, yeah, so much for your claim. We've been here just as long as you have. Then there's the Egyptian church, the Coptic church. They say the same thing. He's just one bishop among many bishops. Okay? So, here's what the early church positions are. The east, on, those on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean associated the letter with Paul. So those on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. When you look at your map, on the, when you look in the back and you see the Mediterranean, those churches that were on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea said it was Paul. Okay? Well, that should settle it. They said it was Paul. Okay, hold on. Those in North Africa held that Barnabas wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Remember Barnabas? That was Paul's companion. He obviously would know who Timothy was, right? Okay. He would know Paul's teaching, so maybe that would be reflected in his writings a little bit. So those in North Africa, okay, so on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, they said it was Paul. North Africa says it's Barnabas. In fact, they hold that view today. Okay, that's the Coptic church. Those in the West, okay, so that's Western Europe, okay, north of the Mediterranean there, okay, where Rome is. Those in the West were unanimous in their thought that it was not Paul. They said, no, it's no way it could be Paul, okay? No way that it could be Paul, all right? So here's what I want you to see, but they all... Most of them say this, while the thoughts of the letter are Pauline, okay, so while the teaching is very much like the teaching of Paul, the language and the grammar is someone else's. Do you know what I mean? So, for instance, back before email, or even with email, okay, remember when you wrote letters to people? You, Whether you realize it or not, you have a writing style. Does everybody know that? Each and every one of you has a writing style. You have a way of writing things. You have a way of phrasing things. That's unique to who? You. Okay? 
You have your own unique handwriting, and then you have your own unique way of putting things down. That's true on letters. That's true on emails. So even though you don't sign it, if somebody knows your writing style well enough, they can look at it and say, oh, well, I know who that was. That was Bruce. Bruce wrote that. Can't you tell the way he's saying things here? Oh, no, that couldn't be Bruce. Yeah, look at it. Look at the way he's talking about it. Especially he keeps mentioning the eagles in this. That's got to be Bruce. You know? Okay? It's the same thing's true with Paul. When you read Paul's letters, you'll see, first of all, there's a certain structure to all of his letters, a certain way of putting things, certain phrases that are Pauline. When you read the book of Hebrews, you don't see that same structure. And even though there's some Pauline teaching there, it's not necessarily conveyed in the same way. So simply because the teaching's there doesn't mean Paul wrote it. So that's why most of the early church, except for the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, didn't think it was Paul. Okay? So who are some possible candidates? And what's the evidence for that? Okay? Possible candidates. Of course, first one's Paul. This is the traditional view. The traditional view is, is that it's Paul. Okay? For us, the most biggest reason why most people in Christian churches in North America believe it's Paul is because of the Schofield Reference Bible. How many of you know what a Schofield Reference Bible is? Okay, if you've been going to a, a Bible-believing church or your family's been going to a Bible-believing church for a long time, it's, it is the sacred text. Did you know what I'm saying? There, there's the King James Version, and then God inspired Schofield to write his notes. Do you know that? No, I'm kidding. But you would think that it were, okay? Because I remember when I first became a Christian and I wanted a, a, Bible, a, a Bible study, you know, a, a Bible reference Bible with study notes and everything, and I almost I've always I was told, well, you, you just have to get a Schofield. You can't go wrong with a Schofield. Yeah, you can. So how many of you know that the Schofield has the gap theory in it? Everybody know what the gap theory is? The gap theory believes not in, he presents the gap theory. The gap theory is, is kind of a combination of evolution and creationism. That there are gaps in the creation story. That's why you can fit thousands and thousands and millions of years in there. That's in the Schofield. Really? I think it's in the study notes around the book of Isaiah. Okay? Really? Schofield wrote that? Yes. Why? Because he was presenting all of, you know what I'm saying, all of the viewpoints at that time. So the Schofield Reference Bible reads the epistle of Paul, the apostle, to the Hebrews. So because of that, everybody just assumes, well, well, C.I. Schofield said that. Wonderful. Great. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. Okay? Here, here's the other one. The Council of Trent in 1545 through 1563 identified Paul as the author. Now, the Council of Trent, just so you realize, is the Catholic Church. This is after the Reformation. Okay? After the Reformation, 
the Protestant movement, the Council of Trent, the Catholics identified the author as Paul. Now, here's the problem, though. There is a considerable theological difference between Paul's letters and the Hebrews. While there are some Pauline teaching, I'm going to be honest with you, it can't be Paul because there's some theological differences that are significant. And we'll, we'll get through those as we go through the letter. Okay? Now, the other candidate I mentioned to you was the North African church. Barnabas was a Levite who would be familiar with the priestly services. When you, when we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the writer talks a lot about, uh, the, the, the offices of the high priest. Okay? And priestly duties and so forth. So this is one of the reasons why uh, it is believed that it's Barnabas, simply because of his being a Levite, he would have a knowledge of this. And as well, he would know who Timothy is, and he would be very familiar with Pauline ideas. So this is why the northern North African church would say that it's Barnabas. Here's another candidate that's out there. Apollos. Remember Apollos from the book of Acts? Priscilla and Aquila took him under his wing. He was a Jew from Alexandria. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Alexandria. What Bible, what Old Testament version would be used in Alexandria? The Greek Old Testament. The Septuagint. Okay. Apollos was a Jew, a native of Alexandria, and well-versed in the Scripture. So he's a Greek-speaking Jew from a Hellenized city. Where the Septuagint is from, he's also in that circle of friends of Paul. He would be familiar with what? Pauline teaching. So that would maybe necessarily be reflected in him. So um, Apollos is one who is out there. Here's another one. Luke. Okay. Luke, some church fathers believe that Luke translated Paul's original writing. Okay? Some church fathers believe that that uh, Luke translated Paul's original writing, that he when he wrote, he wrote in Hebrew, so Luke translated it. Okay? A couple of problems with this one. So when you read through Luke and Acts, you're going to see Luke's writing style. That's not reflected in Hebrews, number one. Number two... Paul didn't necessarily write his own letters. Remember, when you go through the letters, Paul used someone else, he dictated to someone else who wrote. So that's why at the end of his writings, you will say, you'll see where he says, I'm writing with my own hand, this portion. Why? And with big letters he wrote. Why? Because Paul, when he was, when he saw Jesus, what problem did he develop? An eyesight problem. Even though he could see, it is very much reflected and felt by church history that Paul was permanently changed in his eyes after seeing Christ. So he didn't necessarily write himself. Okay? So he wrote through others, and it's interesting, when he wrote through others, what language did he write in? Greek. It's not Hebrew, okay, because he's writing primarily to Greek churches, all right? So he's not writing in Hebrew, and so therefore the thought that Luke could 
could was quote translating a a Hebrew document from from Paul. That doesn't seem possible. Okay. Now others, various members of Paul's circle of friends have been proposed. So it could be Silas. Some people say it's Silas. Okay, or some other folks. Could be could be somebody we don't even know. Okay. Do you realize that? Not every friend of Paul do you know you know who they are. Did you understand what I'm saying? We don't know that. Alright? So, okay, what's the bottom line? I gave you all these candidates. What's the bottom line as far as you reading this letter and the implication for you as far as who the author is? Yeah, doesn't matter. Does not matter. The church has recognized this as being a canonical document. What does that mean? Part of the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Bottom line. It really doesn't matter who wrote it. Because it's God's word for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't really need to sit there and think about, well, was it Paul? Was it not? I mean, you're wasting your time. In fact, I would say put as much energy into figuring out what it says in the letter as it is, as you would trying to figure out who the author is. Because you could waste your time figuring out the author and miss what the letter is saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Miss what the letter is saying. So, who is it? I don't think it really matters. Let's talk about the date of the letter. When we talk about New Testament letters, you need to put in your mind a certain date that's A.D. 70. Anybody know what happened in A.D. 70? A significant event happened in A.D. 70. Yeah, the the fall and the destruction of the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. That is a significant event because after that event, before A.D. 70, the church was primarily made up of who? Jews. After A.D. 70 and to this date, the church is primarily made up of who? Gentiles. Okay? So, when you read the letters, if you understand when the letters are written... It will help you to understand what the letter is saying because if you understand who it's written to, it will give you a better idea of what he's, why he's communicating the truths that he is. So, for instance, all of Paul's letters were written before A.D. 70. How do we know that? Because he, he was martyred before A.D. 70 under the rule of Nero. Okay? We know that James was written before A.D. 70 because he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church and he too was martyred before the fall of Jerusalem. We know that about Jude. Okay, the letter of Jude. When you come to the epistles of John, we know that those were written after A.D. 70 because they're written primarily to Gentiles, to a Gentile church. When you read Paul's letters... It looks like he's addressing things that are affecting a church that's dominated by Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you kind of need to understand where it falls into that. So what does that have to do with the date of this letter? Well, all right, let's talk about the date. The letter must have been written prior to A.D. 95 when Clement of Rome used it. Okay, so Clement of Rome 
was a church father who lived A.D. 95. So this is around, so he obviously probably knew the Apostle John. And so he wrote some commentaries and some, some, some teaching in which he mentioned certain letters that we have in our New Testament. One of the letters that he mentions is the letter to the Hebrews. And we know that he wrote in A.D. 95. Now, let's just stop for a moment. So that means the letter of Hebrews had to have been written before what? A.D. 95. So it's got to be written within that first century after Jesus' death. Okay? Let's go on. The letter does not mention or refer to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. So when you read the book of Hebrews and you see him talking about the high priestly functions and all of that, he doesn't mention at all the destruction of the temple or Jerusalem. He doesn't mention that at all. So, guess what, folks? That happened in AD 70. Does that mean it had, it had to have been written before that? So again, so we're backing it up. We know it wasn't AD 95. And we know it's not AD 70 now. Okay? Because he doesn't mention the destruction of the temple. How significant is that? Well, let me ask you a question. How significant is 9-11 to our world today when we talk about anything in America? Is that a significant event? Most people talk about 9-11 today with reference to everything. Why? Because that was a significant event to us. To the Jew, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem is a significant event they're going to refer back to. It. In fact, Jews to this day refer back to what happened in A.D. 70. Okay? What happened in A.D. 70. That's a significant event. All right? So the letter does not mention or refer to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. The letter was written to Jews. So this letter, in fact, that's why it's called the letter to the Hebrews. Okay, figure it out. Letter to the Hebrews, it's written to Jews who dominated the church prior to A.D. 70. Because I told you, after A.D. 70, the church becomes dominated by who? Gentiles. Okay? So the letter was written to Jews who dominated the church prior to A.D. 70. The letter was probably written in the early 50s and 60s A.D. So sometime from the 50s into the 60s, mid-60s probably, this letter was written. So we don't know the exact date, but we're assuming it was written sometime in the 50s or 60s. How do you know that, George, when you say the 50s? Well, because of the Pauline circle of friends. Because we know when Paul ministered, we know when he had contact with Timothy. Because Timothy came to faith through whose ministry? He came to Christ through whose ministry? The Apostle Paul. So we know the date of that. So the fact that Timothy is mentioned in this letter, we we have an approximate time frame of when this letter was probably written. So it had to be in the early 50s into the 60s. Okay? Now, let's talk about the recipients. This is going to help you to understand what's going on here especially when we get to some of the judgment passages, okay, 
you need to understand who the letter is written to so that you can understand some of the judgment passages that the writer is going to be expressing because there's been a lot of confusion, especially when we come to Hebrews chapter 6, as far as what's he talking about here. Okay, can you lose your salvation? All right? You need to understand what he's talk, who he's talking to in this letter. Okay? So the letter was written to Jewish Christians who were considering a return to Judaism. What do you mean a return to Judaism? They were considering, because of the persecution they were undergoing from other Jews, and we know that, all you got to do is read the book of Acts, okay? Christians were suffering persecution at the hands of the Jews. We know that this is probably talking to those Jewish Christians who, because of the persecution and because of the struggles they're going through, they're just thinking about going back to the whole sacrificial system. They're just thinking about turning their back on Jesus and going back to the whole sacrificial system. That's got to be in the back of your mind when we go through this letter. Okay? That's going to help you to understand what Hebrews is communicating. Okay? It's written to Jewish Christians who are thinking about turning their back on the faith and going back to Judaism. Okay? So, what's the purpose then of the letter? Three things. Number one, to present the supremacy of Jesus Christ to those who are ready to abandon the faith. So this letter is going to show you how superior and supreme Jesus is because it's written to those to to prove that to those who are thinking about leaving the faith. Here's the other thing. It's, It's written to warn against drifting away from Jesus Christ. Now, you think we need to pay attention to that? Because do we have that tendency? Yeah, all of us do, don't we? Uh, if you don't think you got that problem, be careful. Because life hasn't thrown anything at you yet that might cause you to. Because think about it. These folks were ready to turn away because of the supreme, intense persecution that they're going through. So it's possible. So it's it's going to warn us against drifting away from Jesus. Okay? Let's go on. And it's going to exhort its readers to faithfulness. So here, when we go through this letter, it's not just going to warn you. Okay? We're going to look at what those warning passages are. But it's going to try to encourage you, to exhort you to being faithful in your Christian walk. Okay? So this is a great letter as far as exhorting you to be all that you need to be in your walk with Jesus. Okay? Now, next week, we're going to start right off the bat in chapter 1, and immediately he's going to launch right into the supremacy of who Jesus is. 